0: This week, Judge Swain approves Promessa DS to Sixth amended Plan, and c Files Plan and seeks approval of $300 million backstop commitment. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring you the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm David Zubkis. Julian Poulan will be joining me for the week in review. Also this week, LimeTree Bay seeks approval of bid procedures for sale of substantially all assets, and Washington Prime Equity Committee pushes for a two-week extension of confirmation to address valuation issues. For this week's Deep Dive, we talk with America's Covenants Group head Peter Washkwitz about his recent coverage of private equity-owned companies that in the last several months have completed IPOs shortly after executing dividend recaps. We also discuss how certain of these newly public companies that benefited from temporary changes in consumer behavior brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic may become overleveraged if EBITDA normalizes the pre- pandemic levels. It's Friday, July 30th. After a nearly
1: two-week adjournment culminating in a settlement with monoline insurers and back FGIC, Judge Laura Taylor Swain on Thursday approved the PERMESA Oversight Board's disclosure statement to the Sixth amended Plan of Adjustment for the Commonwealth, the ERS, and the PBA Title III debtors. Much of the hearing focused on the Oversight Board's alternatives should the Commonwealth fail to enact legislation required under the PSA, which was subsequently criticized by counsel for AFAF as an uncertain legal and potentially expensive hedge. AFAF's counsel called for a prompt, condensed, and dedicated negotiating process to address the issue of pension cuts proposed under the plan, which has been a barrier to the Commonwealth's support. Judge Swain's approval of the DS and accompanying procedural documents, which is subject to certain changes discussed on the record, is a milestone in Puerto Rico's restructuring efforts, allowing for the debtors to prepare for plan confirmation currently scheduled for early November. On Tuesday, the permesa Oversight Board filed its sixth amended plan of adjustment and disclosure statement incorporating the terms of a settlement with Monoline Insurers and back in FGIC and a new Puerto Rico Infrastructure Finance Authority, or PREFA, plan support agreement dated July 27th. PREFA bondholders will receive $193.5 million in cash or $260 million inclusive of certain transaction fees, plus a contingent value instrument, or CVI, based on the outperformance of Puerto Rico's 5.5% sales and use tax relative to the 2020 fiscal plan projections and general fund RUM tax collections relative to 2021 fiscal plan projections. The PREFA PSA leaves open the option for a Title III or Title VI proceeding. Under the Sixth Amended Plan, classification and treatment of claims remains largely unmodified, but there are revisions to accommodate some of the claims made by AMBAC and FGIC. The plan states that the proposed treatment for these claims is, quote-unquote, in line with the treatment for like claims.
0: The CGL limited debtors filed their first plan of reorganization and disclosure statement on Saturday, July 24th, in a motion for approval of a backstop commitment letter with certain consenting lenders that have agreed to backstop a $300 million first lien exit facility. The plan incorporates the terms of a July 23rd plan support agreement between Citrill and holders of about 57.8% of the company's senior secured loans. The plan would raise $350 million in new financing and reduce the debtor's liabilities by more than $4.9 billion. The PSA includes a plan confirmation milestone of November 5th and contemplates emergence from Chapter 11 in early January 2022. The plan contemplates providing holders of credit agreement claims with subscription rights to invest in a $300 million new equity first lien debt raise and $750 million second lien take-back paper, and 83% of equity in reorganized seed drill, subject to dilution for the management incentive plan, and a convertible bond to be provided by shipping magnate John Fredrickson's investment vehicle, Heman Holding Limited. Hemant Holding is the debtor's largest shareholder, owning 27.1% of the driller's common shares. Heman has also committed to fund a $50 million new money unsecured bond to be issued under the plan, which would be convertible into 5% of the new equity under specified circumstances. Under the plan, CDRL shareholders will receive a pro rata share of 0.25% of new CDRL common shares, subject to dilution, but only if classes 4 and 6 vote to accept the plan. If any of classes 4 or 6 vote to reject the plan, all CDRL shareholders' interests will be wiped out with no recovery. The plan, however, does not have the support of all the debtors' lenders. The backstop motion characterizes former Ad Hoc RIGCO Co. Lender Group Member Strategic Value Partners, LLC, or SVP, as a lone holdout lender intent on objecting to the plan and engaging in litigation with the debtors. SVP has a pending motion for sending to pursue a separate marketing process for the NADL debtors' assets.
1: In a motion filed Monday night, the Lime Tree Bay debtors asked the court to approve bidding procedures for the sale of all or substantially all of the debtors' assets. According to the motion, the debtors are currently in search of one or more stocking horse bidders, which they intend to designate by September 10th, with a bid deadline of September 17th and a sale hearing contemplated to be held on October 14th. The aggregate amount of proposed bid protections for any stocking horse bidder would not exceed 3% of the total purchase price. According to the motion, the bidding procedures were developed with the assistance of DIP Agent 405 Sentinel LLC and the pre-petition secured parties, who would have the right to credit bid their claims under the proposed procedures. The motion also states that the sale of all or substantially all assets of the estates is a condition to the DIP facility under the terms of the interim DIP order and DIP loan documents. The motion further provides that, pending a sale or reorganization through the Chapter 11 cases, the debtors, quote, intend to idle the refinery in accordance with applicable law and consultation with the EPA to ensure the protection of the surrounding communities and environment, end quote. A hearing on the bidding procedures motion is scheduled for August 2nd at 4.30 p.m. Eastern.
0: At a Thursday hearing in the Washington Prime Chapter 11 cases, debtors' counsel announced that the parties agreed to a little over two week extension to the confirmation timeline to resolve a motion by the Official Committee of Equity Holders calling for a longer case timeline under which plan confirmation would occur in late September at the earliest. The consensual extension resolved the Equity Committee's motion filed on Monday, July 26, by which the Equity Committee had asked the bankruptcy court to reconsider the solicitation procedures order entered July 13 and to push out plan-related dates and deadlines. Valuation concerns are front and center in the brief. The Equity Committee argues that it's very difficult today to discern the debtor's worth, other than to say that it's undoubtedly on the upswing. According to the equity committee, only the plan sponsors who are seeking to obtain the lion's share of the debtor's business without either providing the court with professional valuation opinion or engaging in a comprehensive marketing process benefit from a combined hearing before discovery can be completed. According to the Equity Committee's motion, the debtors and the plan sponsors have designed case procedures that would stifle the typical adversarial process in bankruptcy and prevent the Equity Committee from presenting a fulsome valuation. Moreover, the Equity Committee claims that the debtors and plan sponsors themselves have not presented any valuation whatsoever. The motion argues that the valuation issues especially acute because of the complexities of the debtor's portfolio, the volatility caused by the pandemic, and the abbreviated time frame and artificial conditions imposed by the purported market test rules set forth in the bidding procedures top stories this week included: Rep. Nadler announces bill to restrict non debtor releases; to prevent Texas two-step in Chapter 11; House subcommittee witnesses criticize releases; venue shopping; February 21 plan dies; disclosure; residual creditors seek novel derivative standing; LSC officers face kerb clawbacks; and state stress sovereignty in Purdue. Ultra make-whole post-petition interest appeal briefing complete. Parties debate existence of solvent debt or exception after Supreme Court's Nerva decision. Former management investor sues Apollo Siva over unequal treatment after 2013 restructuring. Argues defendants no deal was Apollo stitch up. Now here's Jim from Houston with the week ahead. Well, thanks, folks, and welcome. Remember last week? This week is just like it, only more of it, mainly earnings. Monday, August 2nd, we have a final dip hearing in Lime Tree Bay and earnings from Transocean. Tuesday, August 3rd, hearing on a replacement dip hearing for Katera and earnings from Velaris and Bausch. Wednesday, August 4th, omnibus hearing in Puerto Rico, sale motion hearing in Highland Capital, earnings from Centennial, Cowan, and Comstock. Thursday, August 5th, earnings from Northern Oil & Gas and Party City, and Friday, August 6th, a preliminary injunction hearing in NCL and earnings from FTS and Cinemark. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. So Please see our weekly calendar, released early every Monday morning for all the details, and back to New York. And next up, Julian sits down with America's Covenant's head, Peter Washkowitz, to discuss Peter's recent coverage of private equity companies that went public shortly after executing dividend recaps.
1: Joining me for this week's deep dive is the head of our America's Covenants team, Peter Washkowitz, who will be talking with me today about his coverage of certain private equity-owned companies that recently completed IPOs shortly after executing dividend recaps. Following their IPOs, many of these companies now enjoy a surprising degree of covenant flexibility thanks to aggressive terms drafted into their credit agreements. We'll also be discussing how a subset of these newly public or soon to be public companies, like Academy Sports and Weber Grill, benefited significantly from the changes in consumer behavior brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic, and as a result, may find themselves with over-leveraged capital structures if EBITDA reverts to pre-pandemic levels.
2: Peter, welcome back, and as always, thanks for joining us. Of course. I'm, I'm becoming a, I'm a mildly regular uh, uh, person on this. It's great. Yeah. And, we're, and we're happy to have you on here as, as often as you'd like. So um, we, we've got a lot to talk about
1: today, but why don't you start by telling us a little bit about these newly public names that you've been covering specifically from this angle, including which sponsors are involved?
2: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, as obviously, you know, I mean, the rear covenants product has historically been a, uh, you know, we, we focus on distressed situations, but um, there are so few of them these days that I've kind of been looking at. Um, A lot of these private equity owned companies that have filed to go public um, and all of them, except for Weber Grills, which just fired, uh, just filed its S1, uh, all have now completed their IPOs. So, um, yeah, I've looked at, uh, you know, a a number of them and um, a subset of them, nine of them. Um they they before filing their S1s, they've all kind of paid a, they've all paid their uh, their sponsors a dividend. So it was just kind of interesting uh, following uh, you know each one of these companies, the debt documents, how they were amended for the dividends and kind of the, the influence that the IPOs have had on them. Uh, the companies that I looked at are, as you mentioned, Academy Sports, which is owned by KKR, um, Array Technologies, which is owned by Oaktree, uh, Bumble, which is owned by Blackstone. Hayward Holdings, which is owned by CCMP. Uh, Krispy Kreme, which is owned by JAB um, I, or JAB. It's, it, that's not um, a, a traditional private equity sponsor, but a, a sponsor all the same. Um, then there's Latham Group, owned by Pamplona. Uh, Shoals Technologies, owned by Oaktree. Torrid, owned by Sycamore. And Weber, uh, owned by BDT Capital.
1: Okay, interesting. So... You know you you mentioned these dividend recaps were executed shortly before these companies went public. Um, how were the dividends uh, financed? were they uh, were they financed with new debt or incremental debt under existing facilities?
2: Uh, yeah, they they were all they were all uh, they were all paid for in part. some you know uh, some was they used balance sheet cash, but, all of them incurred at, you know, at least a portion of them were funded by a new incremental debt under their existing facilities. Um, you know, all of them were, the, the average dividend of all nine companies was, uh, was $334 million. Um, the largest dividend was by Array Technologies, uh, which is owned by Oaktree. They paid a $589 million dividend. Um, and the smallest one was uh, by Latham Group, uh, owned by Pamplona, which was for $110 million.
1: Okay, so n- n- the natural consequence of a dividend recap financed by, by debt is is that leverage is going to increase. but you know you, you mentioned that all of these companies you looked at later went, went public. So what was the net effect of the recap followed by the IPO on each of these companies' uh, leverage profiles?
2: Yeah, so um, you know not surprisingly, um, right after they incurred the debt and paid the dividend, um, on average uh, the, their total leverage, total net leverage, uh, increased uh, by uh, 2.5 times. Um, on, a- on average, they had had a total net leverage of 2.3 times prior to the dividend uh, and 4.8 times after. So, you know, but but then they, they all, except for uh, Weber, they all did their IPOs and they all um, were able to then reduce total leverage by 1.6 times. So net effect, they still um, had... Um, they still had, you know, a slightly higher leverage than prior to the the, the dividends, but still they were They were able to significantly reduce that added leverage from the dividend uh, as a result of the IPO. Um, most companies, other than Torrid, who actually did not receive any proceeds in their IPO, um, m- most of them either paid down debt with some of the IPO proceeds and or added cash to their balance sheets, which which could be used uh, for netting purposes. So um, it was either one or two, one or both of those um, in combination resulted in them being able to kind of reduce some of the leverage that uh, they took on from the dividends.
1: I mentioned earlier that some of these newly public companies have arguably been propped up by pandemic driven changes in consumer behavior which may only be temporary at the end of the day. So which of these companies do you think fall into that category? And what happens to their balance sheet if their performance reverts to pre-pandemic levels?
2: Yeah, so that's actually uh, kind of the, the question that really piqued my interest with, with looking at these names. Um, you know, when I, when I first started looking at uh, Hayward Holdings, which again is owned by CCMP and Latham Group, which is owned by Pamplona, um, both of those companies uh, are in the pool industry. Uh, they don't build actual pools, but um, they provide they provide some of the of maintenance and 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 certain parts and supplies uh, for residential pools. And uh, in their S ones, you know they they had they had a, a bunch of disclosures about how um, about how COVID just kind of accelerated their sales. Um, and you can you can obviously see in their results, um, you know, Latham Group's fiscal year 2019 EBITDA was 61 million. Um, and it's, it's, it's EBITDA as of uh, first quarter 2021, uh, it's LTM EBITDA was 84 million. And uh, Hayward Holdings went from 172 to, uh, to 232. So, uh, you know, you could see these, these very rapid and, and, and not normal uh, EBITDA increases. Um, the the largest increase uh, is Weber, which you know Weber Grills, um, and, and they had they also had a number of disclosures in their S one about uh, benefiting from uh you know from COVID nineteen consumer behavior. Uh, they in fi- in fiscal year two thousand nineteen their EBITDA was fifty four million, um, LTM EBITDA as of March thirty first two thousand twenty one is one hundred and fifty two million. So you know almost a three times increase in in their EBITDA. Um, and now each one of the companies that, that that I looked at that have that have paid a dividend, um, each of them, except for um, Array Technologies and Shoals Technologies, which are both Oak Tree portfolio companies um that operate in the solar energy space, um, they did not they did not have any disclosures in their S1 about directly benefiting from, from COVID-19. And then Bumble, which is an online dating app, um, you know, obviously they 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 may have actually been hurt a little. Uh, but they did not have any, uh, you know, any disclosures in their S1 about benefits. But every other company, as you mentioned, uh, Academy Sports had it. Um, And then Krispy Kreme and and Torrid, uh, which is a a plus-size direct-to-consumer retailer, uh, both of them had disclosures that um, COVID-19 really accelerated the growth in their e-commerce businesses. So, you know, I mean, the importance of this is that, um, you know, Ebitda, Ebitda uh, for for these companies has been so warped and so accelerated um, by by the you know the shift in consumer behaviors because of COVID that you know their balance sheets now were you know were able to withstand both you know currents of additional debt um, to to fund dividends and then you know they they they, they looked unbelievably healthy in terms of uh, you know going public so everything looks great right now. But, um, you know, we we also did an analysis where we looked at, um, you know, we looked at their total net leverage now, including what, you know, the reduced debt and the, you know, the additional balance sheet cash. And and each one of these companies has, um, in some cases, significantly higher total net leverage using 2019 EBITDA uh, instead of LTM EBITDA. Uh, You know, as an example, um, Hayward Holdings, which is the pool company, they have a, a, a total net leverage right now after their IPO of 3.7 times, um, which shoots up to five times if you use their 2019 EBITDA. Um, Scholes Technology, which is uh, you know Oak tree Portfolio Company, while they didn't benefit from 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 COVID so much, um, you know their their uh, total net leverage now is three and a half times using 2019 EBITDA, it would be five and a half times. So you know it, it's significant increases. Um, which, which, you know, but, but are being masked right now by, you know, very inflated, uh, you know, performances, um, given we're kind of still in, you know, this, I guess the pseudo work from home model. So a lot of these companies will continue to reap the benefits of this change in behavior. But to the extent we go back to kind of more normalized times, um, their balance sheets might look a lot worse.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I agree, Peter. That's probably one of the most interesting insights to pull out from this sort of cross-survey uh, of, of IPOs that you've looked at. Now, I, I guess what's interesting to me also is that a lot of these companies that are at risk of, you know, increasing leverage um, if, if consumer behavior goes back to normal, back to, you know, the way that it was before the pandemic um, – at this moment, they're they're probably they probably have a good deal of flexibility to uh, make investments, pay dividends, and incur additional debt under their credit agreements as a result of their IPOs, right?
2: Yeah. So yes, they do. Um, now, you know, the one thing is, you know, when these companies are private, it's a lot easier to kind of, you know, pay a dividend and not not face, um, you know, kind of investor blowback. So you know, these companies are now public. Um, so you know, there there might be a slight you know, a re- reduction in risk of them paying these types of dividends now. But you're, you're 100% right. Um, you know, the, the, um, first of all, their their credit agreements are structured such that um, the IPO proceeds kind of flow into um, additional flexibility to do, you know, do debt uh, investments and, and uh, dividends. Uh, but more importantly, you know, at this moment, um, all of these companies have, uh, leverage-based investment and uh, dividend baskets under their their credit agreements, which allow for unlimited uh, transfers and unlimited dividends if they can meet specified leverage tests. Um, I think about like six of nine of them were not able to access those baskets um, following their the dividend, but before the IPO. But following the IPO, they're now all able to access these baskets. So effectively, right now. Um, all of these companies can are, are 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 not restricted from transferring assets to unrestricted subsidiaries or paying dividends. Um, but but more so than that, um, you know, let's just say they, uh, you know, they, they, their total leverage spikes even more, and they are unable to access those baskets. Um, mechanics and their credit agreements. Uh, will provide significant capacity. Um, you know, so so normally in a in a typical credit agreement, the IPO proceeds would flow through um, and would enable the companies to you know incur debt under contribution debt baskets or uh, pay dividends or make investments under builder baskets or excluded contribution baskets. Um, all three of those, the contribution debt. Builder basket and excluded contribution baskets uh, build capacity based on cash contributions and proceeds from equity issuances, uh, typically uh, received after closing. So all three of those baskets could be could provide capacity today um, to incur debt, to pay dividends, to uh, and and to make investments. Um, you know, they, they, it can't be all of those transactions. They, 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 the IPO proceeds can be split among those, or used for one. But it's not like they can use it. For they, it's not like they can use 100% of the proceeds for contribution debt and 100% of the proceeds for dividends. So it has to be split. Um, on top of that, all of the all of the credit agreements also have the typical um, post-IPO dividend basket, um, which is usually based on either or, either and both of a percent of proceeds received from IPOs and the market capitalization. And here, um, you know, the equity markets are, uh, you know, a bullion at this point. And a lot of these companies have, you know, multi-billion dollar market capitalizations now. Uh, so these post-IPO baskets provide, you know, a good deal of, of annual dividend capacity um, based on market capitalization, which, you know, when, when you have a basket based on proceeds, that's, you know, that's justifiable given you have received those proceeds and you, you are able to pay an annual dividend based on a percent of the actual proceeds you received. Um, when you start getting into market capitalization, that market capitalization may have, you know, absolutely nothing to do with financial performance. I mean, look at AMC or, or GameStop. Um, but uh, regardless, these companies can can uh, pay dividends based on, on, you know, in some cases, highly, highly inflated uh, market capitalization. So that's kind of in a, in a normal credit agreement. But a lot of these uh, credit agreements are, you know, these typical, highly aggressive uh, sponsor deals where um, capacity just essentially is like intermingled and, um, and, and, and really warped. So in, in, some, in some of the credit agreements, uh, these companies can incur contribution debt equal to 200% of proceeds received from their IPO. Um, so that, that can allow, you know, Bumble received $2 billion of IPO proceeds. So contribution debt basket would, would enable them to incur uh, $4 billion of contribution debt. Even worse, some of these agreements that allow 200% of contribution debt also have a um, a corresponding lien basket, which allows all that contribution debt to be automatically secured on a parry basis. Um most of the credit agreements also have a, a recent mechanic that allows these companies to incur debt based on restricted payment capacity. So, um, you know, there again, the, 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 the IPO proceeds will flow to your builder basket, which then through the RP debt basket uh, can be used to incur debt. And, you know, like contribution debt, we have seen a number of credit agreements allow uh, debt based on 200% of restricted payment capacity. So you have those risks. Um, and then the post-IPO dividend basket, which again is the annual basket based on proceeds received and market cap, um, that sometimes can also be used to incur debt or transfer assets to an unrestricted sub. So in that case, um, not only is, is the company getting a, a significant amount of new capacity, but it's also annual capacity. So it will have an annu- it could have an annual amount of additional either first lien debt, or uh, transferred to unrestricted subsidiary capacity. So, um, you know, th- this kind of analysis that we've been doing, you know, has kind of, you know, uh, commingled um, rapid rises in EBITDA because of COVID with all of the aggressive terms that, you know, we've been talking about ad nauseum for, for years. Um, and you can really see how uh, the consequences of these aggressive terms in, re- in respect of how these IPO proceeds can flow through the credit agreements.
1: Thanks again, Peter, for joining us this week. For more audio content from the America's Covenants team, subscribers can visit our media page at reorg.com.
0: Now, back to New York. Thank you again for listening to the Reorg Weekly Review. Find all our podcasts on the reorg.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great weekend and see you next Sunday.